We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers finished a an imperfect but successful 4-3 and three road trip with a Alex Caruso Dagger 3 and a game that I thought was kind of uh, exemplified the whole without LeBron and AD experience in a lot of ways, right? It was maddening in some respects, but they played their asses off, uh, really competed, locked in on the defensive end in that third quarter. In today's episode, it's going to be kind of a two-parter with with the next episode. We're going to talk about the good and bad of the road trip, and even in a broader sense, what we've learned about the team in this time without LeBron and AD. AD is being reevaluated on Thursday. Hopefully, he'll be back soon after that. So this is kind of a, a natural point where we had asked the Lakers – within the absence of them to be able to hold it down to win you know at a certain clip and i think we would all agree that six and seven without those two guys if you told us that at the beginning of this whole experience we would have taken that in a heartbeat i want to start though with somebody who did not play in last night's game but was a real uh pillar of this road trip and of our the success that we've had without lebron and ad and that is mark yeah please keith hundred percent. Oh, Keith, Keith is, man, Keith is such a throwback guy, Darius. Um, the, the league has changed so much to where it's a lot more, everybody kind of stands in the same spots on offense and there's the same scenarios playing out over and over again, which I think is a largely a result of the analytics revolution. But there was a versatility to guys games back in the nineties and early two thousands where, because you didn't, 
stand in the same spots all the time. You kind of had to know how to operate and maneuver in different scenarios. And Keefe's game has a lot of that to it. And I thought that that ability to hit highly skilled shots, difficult shots, bumps, step back, sidesteps, give him the ball 16 feet away from the hoop and just let him isolate. His ability to do that was just a, a, a huge part of our ability to get enough offense to win these games. Keith has a pedigree to him that I think in the age of like the one and done player and, and sort of watching guys grow into what they will become in the NBA, in the NBA, right? Like where, where guys sort of come about of what their game will, will be based off of the terms of engagement that they learn at this level. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And there are guys who, who are above that skill level, right? Who come in as maybe even if they're like a middling, like a middle lottery pick, right? Drafted like 12 through 14 or or 15, they have a developed enough skill set where they become really excellent players. But a lot of those guys are guards. I'm talking about guys like like Donovan Mitchell or mm-hmm. even a Devin Booker. But it's very rare in today's game to see sort of like a forward who is not an elite prospect. That's a great distinction. I love this. And not necessarily like he's three and D, but that's not all he is. Well, when you talk about like a throwback player, right? Like, and a forward, for example, guys who I think, think about are like a Detlef Schrempf or like a Derek McKee or or one of these sort of multi-purpose guys who just sort of understands how to play. He can shoot the ball from range a little bit. He's got some post-up game to him. He's got some off-the-dribble work, so, some some triple threat repertoire, right? Knows how to use his body. Like, just just an, an all-around guy, right? And the league has gone away from those yeah. those guys. Yeah. And I'm not comparing Keefe to this guy, but but... Um, the guy I think about is Carmelo Anthony in like in this regard, right? Where he basically found himself out of the league for a certain portion and really fading from relevance from what he was as a truly elite offensive player because the framework of his game no longer fit into the model in which in which multiple teams are trying to play. Right. And and the calling card was, well, if he could only be Olympic mellow. Right. And and Olympic mellow was the floor spacer and the guy who finished at the rim, mostly in transition. But but off the dribble work that got you all the way to the cup and a guy who bombed threes. And 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 if he could only be that guy, be that guy for us. Yeah. Right. And then you'll have a place in this league. And Markeith Morris is a very similar guy. The Lakers got him on the buyout market to basically be a stretch forward. And what he's been for this team up until this this stretch without LeBron and AD, that's basically been the role that he served. He's been a small ball center where the, when the Lakers could play five out, or he's been the nominal power forward in lineups where Anthony Davis was mostly playing center, right? And, and and playing next to LeBron and AD where he was basically a floor spacer. But this stretch here, Mike, he has broken out 
a lot of the skills that had him as basically a lottery pick coming out of Kansas, right? Which is the all-court player, the guy who could definitely shoot with range, but could beat a switch via a post-up, could get you in a triple threat and, and use his body to get off a mid-range shot or get into the paint where he could score, score effectively. And, and a physical defender, a guy who could rebound his position. These are all sort of concepts that definitely still matter in the NBA, but but not as much within an individual guy. I feel like teams look for these skill sets, but as separate entities that they can plug in with a singular skill set from a singular player that can fill this role. Oh, well, you can rebound and hit the three. Great, right? You can defend and, and you can work the painted area. Great, right? But there's not a lot of space now in the league for a guy who's like, okay, well, yeah, post me at 17 feet and I'm going to get off a mid-range 12-foot jumper after I rip through, dribble, bump you off, and th- then shoot the fade. I think the the biggest factor for me in understanding and appreciating Morris came last year in the playoffs. And we talk on this podcast a lot about leveling up. And if you get to the highest level of basketball, can you hang? Can you hang on offense? Can you hang on defense? Do you have to get subbed out? And so a lot of times, guys, when I'm watching games around the league, I'm looking for that kind of thing. And I'm wondering, like, I've always thought that, you know, Josh Hart, for example, like he... he's not a great regular season player, but there's something about him where I feel like he could hold up in a playoff game. And and like, I always used to think about the Lakers young players in that context. And we always had to wonder because they weren't getting to the postseason ever. And Markeith Morris proved very clearly last season that he can hang in any basketball game. He just can. You can, he's not somebody Vogel's got to worry about. Uh Oh, this matchup is in, let's get Keith out of there. And that is such a big value to me. And I think that you can point to some of the more specifics of this recent run, 13 and a half points, five and a half rebounds in 29 minutes, 50% from the floor, a, a little stat, like he's made at least two threes in all but one of the last nine games he played in, which just in its own right, um, has had a, a decent amount of value. But yeah, Pete, that's what, that's the thing that I kind of have appreciated the most about him is that you, he's one of those guys in the Lakers roster. And I think they have more of these guys that you can trust two ways in a big game. And that to me has huge immense value. And I think that you really hit on a good point in that, how he was able to play in each series. That's something that we've talked about a lot with respect to our center position, that some matchups will be more appropriate for a guy than another. Well, Keith was in that mix last year during a playoff run. And this really speaks to this stretch right here. I, I was laughing because in watching tape of him the the last few games, his defense wasn't that good on this road trip, especially on the help side. Now he was assigned to his uh, defense with LeBron. He's had some like absurd mismatches <laughs> during this time in terms of guys he's had to guard. Right, he's had to defend Zion as the primary assignment. Like, just think of look, Keith. I love Keith. He's he's not an athlete, athlete, right? Hey, Mark Keith. You get Giannis tonight. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Markeith, Kevin, Kevin Durant, right? <laughs> like all of the guys that would basically be like Anthony Davis or LeBron yeah. in like a crucial moment. Keith drew the short straw every single time. It That's was right. crazy. It was crazy. And and so that allowed. Go ahead, Mike. I, Pete, I, I want to give you a little credit for a second here. 
And because when the Lakers first acquired Morris, and of course I watch a, a good amount of basketball and I'd watched him here and there, but his last couple of seasons weren't particularly remarkable, uh, right? Like uh, when he, his last season in Washington, 11 and a half points, you know, four boards, only 43% from the field. Detroit, his last year, even though he started at the end of it, like I just, I wasn't sure that he was going to be able to bring something to him. And, and early on, uh, Pete watched him with, with the Lakers and, and we had a text thread with with uh, our boy Aaron Larsoul at the time. And Pete was kind of early on, I think you guys are missing something. Like, I think that keeps better um, than you think. Watch more closely. And, and I did. So I just wanted to mention that, Pete, that you, you saw something right away with whatever his fit was or whatever his basketball IQ was that you pointed out. I mean, it, we hit some, we, we miss some for sure, right? But with Keith, there's there's a couple different versions of Keith. He can be what you need him to be. That's kind of what this road trip illustrated. And there's just certain elements, certain things that I saw where it was like, oh, that was a nice post-entry pass. Like that's going to be valuable with Andre Drummond. Have you seen us trying to beat a front, right? And just throwing the ball all over the place and turning it over. Keith being able to like step step through, make that cross body pass, little bounce pass, hit the the big who's seal. And we Drummond is a very big big who seals guys behind him. If you can deliver that pass, that's a that plays into the whole we're bigger than you at the rim that we won't be able to see until LeBron and AD come back, but. Keith has all of these little skills all over the place where he's not the best guy in the league at any of them, but it's this jack of all trades quality that is kind of comparable to Kuzma, right? We talk about Kuz's ability to shape shift and be a few different versions of himself. Keith is that same kind of guy too, D. No, it, it's, it's why I think it's appropriate to sort of call back to some of these 80s and 90s forwards who were brought up in the game a different way, right? Like they they just were, they were less specialized and they were more generalists. And Darius, just to, quick, to build on that quickly for you, I, they just played more basketball, I think, in, in this, as opposed to working on individual skills. Yeah. Keith and, yeah. and his brother, they just played. And that's the best way to learn those skills. Like lots and lots of playing basketball fives five on makes five. you more Let's of a go. generalist than a specialist yeah. well directed play too mike that's not necessarily born out of and i don't want to rail against aau culture i never played at that high high a level but the idea of like yeah you're gonna come up and you're gonna do a little bit of everything and it's not about just um this is what's going to get you to the league right like the the idea of what was going to get you to to the league was you better be a damn good basketball player right like th- sure there were back in the there's always been room for guys who were shooters and not much else right like if you were a Jason Capono type you could make the league and you could stick for a long time but i remember and this is just a tangent that i'm just going going to go off of right now i remember when Kyle Corver came into the league i think he went to creighton um if i'm not not mistaken and i remember watching corver in the ncaa turn tournament and the type of player that he was at creighton and he was a ball handler he could he could make the extra pass he could read the defense he had really good feel for well for the game but as he got into the nba his skill as a guard sized player his lack of athleticism and lack of size 
portended his career to go in a different direction where he mostly became a shooter. But you look at a guy like Morris, right? Who is six, seven, six, eight, solidly built a good athlete, not a great athlete, but, but a good athlete. And there, there is room for him to do more in the NBA. And, and I'm glad you started out the pod with him, Pete, because it's like riding a bike for him. These skills just didn't go away for him. He still has this stuff in, in him. But, but to be a high-level role player on, on a team that wants to win an NBA championship, the asks of him are going to be fewer and fewer. It, it's sort of what we talked about with Drummond in, in a very recent pod where the asks for everyone now are two, three, four steps up than what they're going to be asked to do with LeBron and AD. But during this stretch without both of those guys, you sort of see the metal that each guy has in him and what they're actually able to do on a basketball floor. And I think, if anything, Keith has reminded everyone, including the coaches, like, hey, when everything sort of settles back and all of these guys are back and we have our quote unquote full squad, like, don't forget about me. Because I'm a guy who can play for you. And knowing Vogel and sort of the trust that he sort of keeps right there in the breast pocket of his suit jacket, he's not going to forget about Keith. I do not think, especially after this recent stretch of play. Yeah, there's a broader conversation to be had about Keith because we've talked so much about the center rotation. And when we're not playing well, it inevitably goes to Mark needs to play, right? Like, it, it, it always goes to the five spot, right? Because that's the obvious, very good player that's sitting on the bench that's not in the rotation. We never talk about Keefe in the context of this. That's not going to be in this pod because we want... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to cover more of the road trip and the, the elements of that, but to be continued, because I think that in that conversation about what our five rotation looks like and what our front court looks like, Keefe absolutely needs to be a part of that. He was a big part of it last year, and he showed not just during this stretch, but uh, in throughout other portions of the season that he's an essential part of that, and Vogel's talked about that before. But let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other elements of the road trip. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. 
Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in Instant Karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. So, Mike, we we spent the first segment rightfully giving Markeith Morris his his flowers for his contributions. What are some of the other things that have stood out to you over the course of this road trip? In terms of players, because uh, I think that the we handled sort of the team play within the context of Markeith Morris, and they they got the requisite number of wins that not only uh, I think was was to be expected is is actually they exceeded that expectation, so that was great. But how do they do it, and which players contributed individually? I do think about THT a bit more because the way that I looked at it, he almost hit a rookie wall. This season, in a way, when you think about the total number of NBA games that he had played and when he really started his season in the bubble, and then you have kind of the brief offseason where he nobody was able to do much working out, and he started the season actually really well, and then he hit a lull, and then I feel like on this trip, he picked it back up again. And so I think it's worth examining how and why he was able to do that. So for starters, in three of the six games he played in, because, of course, he had to miss the one game for leaving the bench suspension, he had zero turnovers. So that's interesting in its own right, because turnovers were becoming a thing Mm -hmm. with him, most notably the six turnovers against Milwaukee. He also shot the basketball better from three than he had previously. He shot nearly 40%, and that's with the one for six at Charlotte. Uh, when that shot kind of went away a little bit, the Raptors game, he had three of four. Uh, he was two for five in the Brooklyn game. He was one for two in, in the Kings game. And then he had the 11 assist game, of course, at Brooklyn. And uh, just making stuff happen on defense, it, his, using those long arms for pokeaways. So I just was impressed with now feeling comfortable again with putting THT in certain situations and needing him to do more playmaking than than I may have been even a month ago when it looked for a while like, okay, maybe he needs to just kind of sit back for a bit, you know, uh, play a bit more Caruso, a bit more Matthews in that spot. So I'm curious what you guys took away from THT on this trip. You know what I took away? What's that? I stopped noticing him so much on defense. Right. Noticing him is is bad. Noticing him is a bad thing. <laughs> you do not want to stand out defensively unless you're making a highlight play, right? Um And THT is not often put in positions to make highlight defensive plays. He's often put in a position where they're trying to get highlights at his expense, 
I don't think you want to show up on film too much defensively in the way that the Lakers are going to look at film defensively if you get what what I mean there. And there have been times during this road trip where I was just like, oh, they've got THT guarding Joe Harris. This will be interesting. Well, and why is that? Why why does that match up? Because I know why that raises a red flag in my mind relative to THT's play earlier in the season. Well, just his ability to track off ball, how attentive he is in terms of the subtle movements that offensive player makes, especially a shooter in terms of navigating screens and mm-hmm. slipping into open spaces and in order to generate passing windows. There, There's a lot of, of defensive intellect and discipline you need and, to show and guys guys will lose him as a result. That's kind of the result that we see is that he'll turn his head and Joe Harris will relocate from the wing to the corner. And all of a sudden that's a wide open three as THT turns around and goes, oh, shit, he's over there now. Right. And he can close up some of that space, with, especially with his wingspan and all that. He's got some defensive talent that can the advantages you create against him he can erase more of them but the mistakes earlier in the season have been too big and i i think you're absolutely on the right uh, right track there of of saying that like he's shortened those disadvantages that the joe harris's of the world had been really taking advantage of him on earlier in there yeah there was just and it, it was a I feel like a long segment of the season where it was just a recurring issue, right? Like he he had gotten benched earlier during the year for a game, a game and a half. And it came right on the heels of it. It might've been an early season Kings Kings game, but it was a game where he had basically said, yeah, the shooter I'm guarding, I much prefer to watch the ball. And then suddenly that guy is coming off of a pin down and THT is stuck behind a big man who's screening him at like the foul line. And you're like, come on, dog. Like, who are you guarding? You're guarding Buddy Heald or or you're guarding Shooter X. That's a guy who you need to be locked in on your assignment. Yeah, you can't lose him. And there's been so he'd have really up and down moments over a long stretch of the season where, where it was just like, oh, sort of THT is back on this ball watching thing again and taking too many false steps like and getting his angles messed up, like poor defensive footwork off of the ball. Like we often talk talk about defensive footwork on the ball, but but off the ball, it's also crucial, man. Like what because your footwork sets you up in order to take the right angle and, and cut to a certain direction. There's Kobe did a detail episode on Ben Simmons and the way he starts it. First off detail. I could go on a whole rant on that. Those are basketball. Holy, holy texts, right. In terms of how to play basketball. I just, they're the best. Um, the very first clip of the Ben Simmons episode, he's talking about a false step that Ben Simmons makes on a closeout. And it was a shot that like, it was a shot. It was a corner three that the other team missed. The result was not the point, right? And that is part of Kobe's point is, and this is Simmons's first or second season in the league. And he's like, this false step over here that's eight steps away from the final conclusion of the play. It's like, it, it's Kobe pointing out this mistake right here will lead to you losing playoff games, to you losing important games. It's this attention to detail right attention to detail on things like this that really matter and determine the difference between who wins and who loses in the nba well it's like high level chess right i do not play high level chess but i've watched others play it and you will see commentary 
where it's just like, yeah, that's going to be checkmate in 17 moves. And, <laughs> and you're like, wait, I don't, like, like, I don't understand. Yep. Right. And you know, there's uh sting, you know, the music that he makes, I don't really listen to it, but the fact that he makes it, I respect that. <laughs> You guys probably you probably aren't getting the Zoolander reference. If, if you did, great. I, I was just hoping to reach maybe three or four <laughs> listeners uh, with that one. And that, I hope nice, that, I did. that was very so nicely done, that. Mike. Yes. No, that's going to be. We're going to cut that, and and that's going to be part of the preview <laughs> for this pod. So, oh, so great. it's going to okay. be great, Mike. Okay, great. Okay, keep your ears perked to that one, Jeannie. But, Thank you. But that sort of high level decision making and and doing your work early. Right. So there's there's all these defensive con concepts where it's like, do your work early. Right. You're playing a big dude who wants to bury you in the post. Well, you better meet him foul line and above or mm -hmm. else he's it's going to get that. you yeah. into the restricted area. And then that's it. You're buried. Right. And knowing your assignment and who you're guarding and the different techniques and strategies you need to execute in order to stay on top of that defensive assignment. Those are, those are what contribute to playing winning basketball. It's part of the evolution that Kyle Kuzma's made defensively. It's not 100%. just, it's not just like, Oh, look at Kuzma. He's so much better at defense. He must be trying harder. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. It's Sh way more complicated than that. Yeah. It's never quite that simple. And you could tell, Pete, I've been loving following you on, on like Instagram where you'll cut up these like little 10, 15 second clips, right? And it'll be THT on the sideline and he's sitting there and who's in his ear? LeBron is in his ear. AD is in his ear. Mark Gasol is in his ear, right? You see it going to commercial break. Wesley Matthews is in his ear, right? All of these veteran dudes and... If there's been one compliment that has been bestowed upon THT for his entire time that he's been in the league, it's it's like Mike and and you've talked to him one on one. It's the idea that, well, he's listening, he's not saying a lot, he is coachable, and he takes the things that people are tell telling him and he absorbs them to the best of his ability in order to implement them. Out, out on the court. And I think this recent stretch, Pete, defensively from THT is, is, is something that I've been more, even in its own way, more impressive to me than like, oh, look at THT. He got a, a career high assist or right. he's scoring better now because the offensive stuff I think is going to come for him, but the defensive stuff is what's going to keep him in the game. Kuzma talked about this post game in the context of Andre Drummond, actually who is certainly not a second-year player that's 20 years old. But Kuzma's point, and I'd be interested to kind of hear how Drummond would describe this, but he was – Kuzma's fairly critical about – I was cracking up at this quote. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was fairly critical about Detroit and Cleveland. And I'll just summarize it by saying that he – Kuzma's saying there's a big, huge difference between playing basketball and playing winning basketball – and that since those teams, whether for whatever reason, whether it was talent, and I don't think you can just completely impugn the coaching in those places. I think a lot of it had to do with talent and not getting to the right places and not having a real superstar in either of those situations. And, and most of all, Detroit, we've talked about this before. Drummond had one all-star his entire career there, and it was Blake after the Clippers thing once he got to Detroit for the one year. And so he said that 
Kuz finally learned all this stuff last season on a championship run is when it clicked into him and, and he had the kind of Darius voice. Oh, this, oh, this is a little different. This is what it takes. And so I think that in the context of THT, he had that experience, but he also, he just has to also play more basketball in that context for it to really set in. Whereas Kuz had had, I think enough basketball to, to have it set a little further. And now what can Drummond do with this and how different is it playing with four different starting lineups in his last several games, which Drummond basically did. Maybe it was three and not having LeBron who is the guy that really makes all of this go. So it's the point is it's coming. It's going to get better uh, for, and this is why I think, again, you can all, you can thank all of, you can trace all this stuff back to when LeBron came to the Lakers. And uh, that is the, that is the initial starter for guys like Kuz to draw from for THT. And, and now soon, hopefully I've got from. a guy. My guy is the guy, our favorite, a friend of the podcast who I'd hope would actually be a friend of the podcast one day and, and come on. And that's our boy. You know, when I say our boy, uh-huh. I mean, Alex Caruso, because AC has been, he's, he's been back on his thing lately. For sure. I, I just, I want to talk about THT real quick. I didn't get a chance. Oh, to, well, please, uh, please, please yeah, jump yeah. in, jump in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to the point that Kuz's amusing quote about uh, about Drummond, right? And there's a difference between playing 30-win basketball and playing championship-level basketball. That's not a matter of bad coaches around the league. Like, I don't, I don't agree with his point in that respect. However, Kuz played on a few 30-some-odd-win teams, and putting up 19 a game or whatever on that type of squad it's it's a different type of basketball there's there's a playing basketball and getting your numbers and then there's playing winning basketball which is very detail oriented it goes back to that kobe you make a false step over here and then eight steps later on the other side of the court is where you pay the consequence for that mistake it's stuff that that even I don't see that level of detail and mistake on a play, right? That, but that is the difference between guys winning and losing. And all those conversations you talk about, D, that Jeannie posts those on Instagram as well. Shout out to Jeannie. Those are figuring out all of the details of th- that conversation you were talking about with Alex and Anthony Davis and Marc Gasol. Alex had kind of overhelped on KD in the post. And you had Kyrie was like a step back from the three-point line. And so like the rule in terms of defensive spacing is to, if the ball's where KD had it, is you want Caruso at the elbow. But maybe not if it's Kyrie that you're helping off of. And maybe not if he's a step back from the three-point line because that makes your closeout longer and makes his shot more open. And so you've got a brilliant defensive player in Alex Crusoe arguing his his basketball philosophy and theory for why he did that with a brilliant defensive player in Anthony Davis and a brilliant defensive player in Mark Gasol while a brilliant defensive player in LeBron James watches on and probably his heart is, is filled with joy of the type of environment that he's helped to foster here, right? This is a big part of LeBron's influence, right? And the caring about stuff like that. The part that I watched, I I watched that like four times and I kept wondering like what was going on in LeBron's specific head. And for all of, as you just mentioned, for all of the basketball genius in the triangle of the conversation, there's LeBron like over there on, 
on basketball Mount Olympus, sort of like, do I need to? Oh, you know what? They're they're getting it. Mm-hmm. I don't need to talk here. Mm-hmm. They're getting it. They're getting it. It's just it was it was hilarious thinking about uh, thinking about that exact interaction. Right. I'd love to ask them all about it. So that you know, it's funny you say that because that's part of the reason why. Like, it's the one bit of pushback I have against your. We have LeBron and AD and. It's going to be okay. Like, it's probably going to be okay if those guys are are healthy, right? And you're not wrong in that, but there is a certain, there's a journey that every team goes on. And that is a matter of solving the puzzle that I always talk about in all of those conversations. And where that really takes shape on a basketball team is when the players take ownership of what's going on on the court. We always think of this, and that's why, like, look, Frank Vogel has rightfully gotten a ton of credit for why this team is the way it is defensively. And part of that is Frank Vogel helps to foster this environment of players taking ownership too. But it's, it's both. It's when the players start, like, when as a coach, you can stand to the side and let your players have this very healthy conversation and disagreement and debate when all of them care to that level. That's when you can play defense to the level that we do. That's to where you can play competitively without LeBron and AD and get to this point where we're like treading water and we've done all right. And I'm, I'm really proud of the team and like the education of THT within that um, the, the OGs of the team, like Markeith Morris being able to be like dip a little deeper into his bag than he used to when LeBron and AD were playing and just all of that. Like I'm really proud to be a Laker to root for this team and that there's a certain heart and commitment and dedication that, that I love. There's also a, uh, a lot of mistakes that were made on, on that, that trip for sure. And we'll talk about that in the next episode, but I just wanted to like, I, I am grateful for the attention to detail that this team pays and that that manifests itself in so many ways. And I think LeBron is, is LeBron and Vogel and just the leadership of the team have really fostered this type of environment. So I don't, I don't think Pete that you were pointing out a disagree or not, not even a disagreement. A subtlety in like the way that I described the LeBron AD yes, thing sorry, plus yes, the uh, plus those guys. But I'm just going to try to speak to it though. If I think that both things have to be true, but if you don't have LeBron and AD eventually getting back, you could have the five greatest basketball minds of all time and have them at average NBA oh, talent, yeah. and it wouldn't matter. And then, and, and and of course you know that. But so that's that's where both things are true. I think to get a championship squad, but it is the LeBron basketball IQ element is directly played into that. Yeah, hundred percent. So I agree with you. I I guess I'm saying like a yes. And is the way that teams with Supreme talent, like LeBron and they do, uh, you know, and then the rest of this roster, the way that they lose when they lose, it's because they take it for granted. They take the process for granted. They take the little steps along the way. And the fact that these guys care so much during these timeouts, and I've seen this the whole year on, on the melts, they are really trying whatever their circumstances. And there's been a bunch of different circumstances from the fully healthy team to really depleted and a few stop uh, stops in between. They're always working on the puzzle. And we're starting like this part of the season has been, really gratifying because it's like yo you guys are like we're seeing them not take it for granted so when you have lebron and ad and your team really gives a shit like and they've got this much talent this is where we needed to be you know that's right so let me throw this to darius then what happened and this is all presuming that lebron and ad 
get their health back, right? And which you, of course, need to win. But those injuries almost forced the Lakers to find that competitive edge again. Because if they didn't, then they would have gone one and six on that trip. And that, so I think what we saw with the malaise in the middle of the season, which was 100%, we predicted it. We It had to happen based on how the last year went. It just had to physically, mentally. But now the recharge has come. Other guys have gotten going. The competitive spirit is there. And now when you add LeBron and AD back into the puzzle, you're you're into that, Darius, that whole mix that Pete was just talking about from a competitive fire standpoint. Is that is that fair? I think it's fair. I also think, too, that remember the Raptors last season? They had just lost Kawhi. And basically everyone buried them. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they just lost the finals MVP. They lost Danny Green as well, a friend of uh, me and Mike's pod. Um, <laughs> and and the idea was they're not going to be as good and they're going to be dropped down, if not one tier, multiple tiers, right? Um, and that team just continued to scrap and fight and play the brand of basketball that got them a championship. And the thing that I think what we've seen with this group now is that you look at a guy like Markeith, you look at even a guy like Marcus All, who wasn't part of the culture last year, but understands winning at that level. And then you've got Kuz and you've got Caruso and you've got enough sort of holdover guys here along with Frank Vogel. And I think it's helped that AD has been on the bench every single game, even while while injured. Just like I think it's helped that LeBron traveled with the team on this East Coast portion of the road trip. There is that championship DNA that's just there with this team now. And they called on that, I think. And there is a pride that comes from that comes from not only being in the NBA, but being a winner at that level and knowing what it takes to win at that level that, that I think that they were able to summon some during this trip. KCP and Alex Caruso are two guys that I think really exemplify what you're talking about there, right? Yeah. Like KCP has started to look like himself over the last few games. And that's really exciting. And Alex, man, just like talk to me about Alex. Cause I feel like he, he had a fantastic road trip, man. Look, at least once a game, I want to tweet winning player or winning plays. And I'm not even going to say his name, right? Because if you're watching the game, you know exactly who I'm talking about and exactly what he did. The dude understands winning basketball. Does he always have the skill set to execute at a level, particularly offensively, in order to make the exact play that needs to be made? Does he always have the scorer's mentality that you would probably want in in a, like, I'm downhill, and it's shoot pass, and if he was just a bit more skewed towards, I'm going to get this bucket, could it be more helpful to him as a player and maybe even help the team a little bit more? Yes, it could. But he makes enough plays offensively and and his feel as a passer and and his spatial awareness, I think, is special. Special. That skip pass that you tagged me and Mike on, the one that we we talked about on the pod last time. About Macklemore's three? Yeah, about Macklemore's three, where Macklemore did the double jump from the corner and the skip pass that 
Caruso made. Caruso is reading that help defender, and he makes that skip pass the minute or the second, the instant that that defender plants that foot to go middle is when Alex skips, right? He was really good on his skip passes. On like That's been a noticeable improvement lately. And it's those sort of field plays that he's been making offensively that matter, but all the competitiveness stuff that he does defensively. And Mike, I loved your guys' exchange in the walk-off interview after the Hornets game. Talk to me some about Alex's comments and just sort of like what you were getting at because I really felt like you guys, I felt like were simpatico in terms of the back and forth that you both had about the tenor of that game and how Alex's comments just sort of personified what his mindset is about himself and the team within his role. Yeah, it makes me think a little bit about just as a as a transition into the more direct question. When you're speaking about guys like Corver, who we now think are specialists, I think we also forget that these guys, Corver, JJ Redick, uh, even Caruso is kind of a different kind, but are world class athletes. Even the ones that kind of turn into shooters, uh, be, like they. If you watch Redick play at Duke, or imagine what that dude did in, a, did in, in his high school varsity game um, as a senior. Like, so we, it sometimes that gets lost when you see them amongst the even more ridiculous super freaks like the LeBrons out there. But to be able to then transition into a, a special skill like shooting and have that kind of accuracy always impresses me. And Caruso, even when you look at him on the screen, and so I'm in the studio and this dude's so he's I, there's a big uh, screen television in front of me with with him on it right so i can see him he can't see me he can hear me he's looking into a camera like up in the arena but so i can see him and the sinew is just like bursting out of the biceps so and so we think about he's such a heady player and he's so smart we just talked about reading the skip pass like the, as if you know he was sitting and and watching film with lebron and then it clicked at a certain point ah that's when you make so all that stuff's coming but he is a world class yes. athlete Yes. Um, who is who is also totally willing to sacrifice every single ounce of his body. Think about the loose ball that he dove for, right, when he got banged up. And I, I don't know if that was in the second quarter. But so what I'm so I'm thinking about all this in the interview. And I just thought it was rewarding for Laker fans, probably, or, or just basketball fans watching to see the dude that does all that stuff every night, finally get a chance to hit the dagger three, which to my recollection, he hadn't done uh in at least in the last couple in, in a moment that mattered and because he, he, he usually doesn't get that opportunity and he almost couldn't care less about it which is so great and so and so he and i kind of expected that but he answered the question and then i went back to it and i was like well i this, i get it man i get this is you this is what makes you great like you're plus 21 your coach just talked about and, and i'm sure we'll see a slow-mo on pete's insta of this the the way that he played Devonte graham to yeah. not allow a clean look at a three, just textbook, yeah. right? Close that Beautiful game out. defense. Yep. And wasn't it wasn't that after he hit yep. the three? It was the very, very next play. Yeah. So like, so even that. So like, just right there. It's just that's why you gotta love this guy because he's just he's about that thing. He's about winning. He's not about his own moment in the win. He was kind of annoyed that the Hornets had gotten it as close. Still, he's still bristling a little bit. And then he finally changed his mood 
uh, when I brought up the fans and to kind of thinking back and coming to coming to Staples Center, I was like, is there anything I can get them to think about celebratory here? But yeah, it's just a little window into into why he is who he is, because to get to the point that he's at right now in his NBA career where, you know, I think he's looking at a nice contract moving forward, which he will absolutely deserve every cent of has been such a combination of determination and hard work and grind and focus. Um, it's it's uh, he's really admirable. He, he's also like really puts the effort in to learn the game, right? And to learn the puzzle and just little elements have started to show up over the course of his uh, his career. This is also true of Kyle Kuzma of like, oh, he didn't used to do that before. Like that skip pass, the accuracy and that ability to make the read exactly at the right time. That's new. He wasn't doing that a few months ago, like at least not to this frequency. To stick on that, let's just think about the kid that you were coaching in high school and you ask him to do... 100 reps of a certain drill but then you look you leave at about 50 because one, you know, one of the other coaches needs your attention and so you're going over to the other side of the gym and i think most of the kids you know a couple are going to stop at 91 you know maybe somebody stops at 92 alex is going to the full 100 reps every time his whole life his whole career like that's how you get the sinew coming out of the muscle that's how you get the knowledge in the iq the to never skip a step right like i think that's what that's something that i've learned about him absolutely and it's it's why he fits within the whole like lebron is the same way right lebron is is in many ways the master of that of understanding not skipping steps all of the different components that go into being a good basketball player both physically and mentally and i'm i'm glad you brought up alex's athleticism right and is that he plays into that whole physically overwhelming style of play. We always talk about the big guys in the front court. Our guards are nasty, man. Like that's one thing I learned on this road trip is just defensively the way that we get after it and the guards, Dennis, like Dennis, we're going to, in the next episode, going to give, I'm going to talk about Dennis's turnovers a bit before that Dennis Vogel has been sure to point this out a couple of times. Like Dennis played a 15 minute stretch and at the level of burden that he's carrying in the absence of LeBron and AD, the number of offensive possessions that he's playing while still being responsible for he's like, I've seen his off ball defense dip a little bit with those two guys out, but by and large, he's still a really big part of it. Um, The burden and the endurance that he's had to have to bear that responsibility while making some awful turnovers that we'll talk about in the next episode. I just wanted to give him a shout out um, as well. Just all these guys, man. Like you had mentioned being proud of this team. I don't know if if you're a listener of the pod who's been listening a while. There was a point I made maybe four or five episodes ago about just wanting to see these guys rewarded for the work that we knew that they were going to put in in order to try to win games, right? They knew they were shorthanded. They knew they weren't going to have anything close to the team that they were supposed to have, the, the team that was built to win a championship. That team was gone, right? It's it's on the sideline. You've got 75% of your salary cap in very nice designer street clothes, right, on the sideline. And there was a question that I had about, like, look, if they lose at the rate in which I anticipate they're going to lose, that's going to be tough 
for them mentally? And how are they going to survive if they're not rewarded? And so if there's one thing that I'm happy for, it's not just the wins and and being able to sort of still be in this like four or five mix within the playoffs, but the idea that yeah, they were rewarded for the hard work. And that's what drives, that's what continues to drive you forward as well. So I'm thankful for this group. I think that there's things to improve on and we'll get into that stuff the next pod. But this pod, I really do feel like it was important that we sort of just celebrate what this team has been able to accomplish and the level that they've reached in this period of time where honestly, winning only 30% of their games would have felt like an achievement to me. Yeah. Two second note on that guard point you made. Just if think about Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, James Harden, Murray, those guys aren't too thrilled to have the guards, like aren't too thrilled to have to play against the Lakers. Cause not only do you have those, the Laker guards that are all tough and pain in the ass. Uh, and then even if, if you get past them, then you got LeBron already be helping or last year Dwight or so. Yeah. So it's, it's a, that's a real Testament to their, to their fire there. Yeah. It's a, it's a real gauntlet that other teams have to go through when we're clicking on all cylinders as successful as I think we would all characterize this road trip in this period of time without LeBron and AD, it has been revealing in certain aspects. So we're going to get into that on the next episode of the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.